Hello, Richard Biggin here. Welcome to Summer of the Users podcast with Richard Biggin. And that's not me reading any script, that's just me saying it. Hello, everybody. Once again, we took another week off. I know, we had a very busy March, somewhat okay April. Last week was the anniversary of my parents and my dad's birthday, and we just had a long, busy week. But I had planned to not do a show anyways last week. I've been filming and writing more, and thanks to short-form video, it's really kind of taken off kind of a, a instantaneous thing. It kind of goes back and forth with me coming up with bits to do, to write, that I haven't done yet, and me just going ahead and filming things. I realize this may not sound like anything new, too many of you out there because so many of us use social media to post videos, podcasts, and pictures. For me, it just kind of takes a little time to crank out an idea. But lately, I've been doing many different ideas and I always kind of hold myself back because I feel like I don't want to put out the right idea just yet to see what will happen. But I can already predict what's going to happen that I'm eventually going to do my own thing and develop my own. What eventually I like to do is create an app with all my stuff on it for people to download and keep with them. And so far, do it in a way where I can make money at it but not be so costly for the people. Uh, I have a few items out there that I have sold over the years my digital stuff is all gone. I was one of the first... I mean, I, <laughs> it sounds weird to say I'm one of the first ones to do it, but I was one of many at the time to first do the idea of sell downloads online. I, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and it's clocking in about over 10 years from concept, which, you know, the reason why I referenced when I opened the show of reading off a script, we're facing another writer's strike. We are facing it now. Last week, before I was, if, if I wanted to do a show, I'd probably be saying they're hoping to not have one. But they are. They are, they are in the middle of it right now. And what's kind of odd to me, personally to me, not being a name, not being anybody familiar, 2008, 2007, 2008, when the first writer's strike during my lifetime had happened, because, well, technically, there was a writer's strike like the year I was, after I was born. So, I guess technically I've been through three writer's strikes. The 2007, 2008 one was when I was first doing projects on the internet. We had dial-up at the house. And I was just first putting out my ideas. I was first doing it at a public library, logging in my account and putting it out there, and then and then working on the stuff at home. But then eventually, when we got dial-up in the house, which was our first internet when everybody else was doing faster things, a Christmas special that I created, an animated Christmas special, probably one of the most original things I had done, and creatively one of the fastest things I've ever done. Within one week, I know it, how it looks, but 
to me in one week. I wrote, voiced, drew all the characters, and did my best at animation, what it was at the time. And then it took forever to put it out there because, yeah, dial-up. So I had to kind of compress it down a bit. Compress it down so much that it looked older than it was, which, you know, the look that I was going for wasn't really a particular look at the time. But soon, shortly after, there was a writer's strike. And it didn't, you know, it affected a lot of the shows that we were watching. I remember The Office having a particular episode that they were excited about, and the writer's strike came out, and then they had to halt things. I have several box sets where I can tell what year the writer's strike was because they are the shorter seasons. In fact, that episode that I just mentioned, the dinner party of The Office, was the one that they were looking forward to. And that season is also the one that's missing a Christmas special, I think, because of how everything transpired. Production just shut down. Now, we had production shoot, um, shut down in 2020. That was a completely different thing because people were able to do things from home. To me, it kind of put things in a perspective of what is out there. Social media and your celebrities out there that are putting themselves out there by doing videos. Maybe they're writing skits. Uh, my sister Rosella showed me something that Tim Daly and his son, they, they make videos together. And they recently did a video that they wrote before the writer's strike. And it's very entertaining. And my sister says they, they do a lot of videos. And for many of your favorite actors out there, they need an outlet. They really do. So in 2020, when production shut down because of COVID, nothing to do with writers or actors or whatever, just the environment itself and the protection that the government was giving to everybody your countries were working we had things going on here in america versus things that first transpired in europe it first started i think in italy everybody was being white this widespread thing that was coming over and by the time that it came to us we you know <laughs> react accordingly some wanted to take it seriously some didn't some find it ridiculous to take it seriously till this day. There's actually a law in Florida that they're passing where it's making it illegal to have mandates with masks and COVID protection things. It's actually illegal to force people to do it. So that's what we're facing right now. But that's that. Aside from all of that, we now go to the writers. Writers are very important. I'm a writer. I'm not, you know, a famous writer. Um, I follow many people that perform and act. You can kind of tell from certain actors if they have a creative mind enough to also want to write. A lot of the people that I look up to are not just some of the best actor entertaining people. They're really great writers. My favorite people are like... Uh, ben Stiller, Bob Odenkirk, which actually have a connection, but they, they term themselves mainly as writers. They both have a tendency to also improvise, but you can tell that mainly their, their main ideas they want to get out are in a written construct. Recently, ever since Trevor Noah has stepped down from The Daily Show, I've been watching the different co-hosts throughout the week. 
uh, John Leguizamo, Marlon Waynes, and um, Al Franken, and then it transitioned into, most recently, the Daily Show Correspondents. And they're also facing, their, they have now shut down. All your late-night shows, like the Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, um, Stranger Things, Daily Show, all these shows have shut down because of the writers, even losing the MTV Movie Awards. Drew Barrymore stepped out of being a host. They didn't want to go without a host or writers, so they're going to scrap the show altogether, which everybody knows by that by now. People really didn't like the Movie Awards, really, when it was a thing. It, it Some award shows with writers are awkward, so that's kind of like a odd thing to, you know, but it's it's different kind of messaging, and it just seems like it goes more pro-writers than it does versus these studios. But back to The Daily Show, I've been following the correspondence. They've been really, you know, really well done. But I feel sorry for one of the correspondents, Dulce Sloan, who's a comedian. It was her week, and she only got to host one night because it was this past week of the writer's strike uh, last week that they... We're going. They started this, and everybody else prior got to host four episodes each. And right during her week, her spotlight, she had to step. She she can't do it. Saturday Night Live is going to have Pete Davidson come back as he's going to actually make his debut as a host. That got scrapped because of the writers' strike. So what is the writers? What are they demanding? What's going on with that? It's kind of a lot of the same thing that was two thousand eight. 2007-2008, because they were in the middle of negotiating what happens with the streaming rights. You know, the shows are transitioning from TV to Internet. And I've always... It's, it's true. Your shows on TV want to be popular on the Internet. Your people on the Internet want to be popular on TV. Someone along the line, you know, if you're on the Internet, you want to be discovered, you want to have your own TV show. These people who have established TV shows and movies, they want to also be... An, uh, online and take over the streaming distribution. And that's interesting because, again, we go back to 2020 when everybody's at home. Streaming was the big thing. So just imagine all that money that the writers did not make. Now, I had done an episode a few months ago talking about who's lying in any way. And I kind of painted the light where I was kind of questioning. I kind of was in the middle of it because... Colin Mockery from Whose Line was making a, a really great point. Why can't they be credited as writers? That is that is something. He acts like that they got screwed out of money in other ways, but the fact that they never got credited as writers really took it away from them. Is there a difference between when they play themselves versus playing characters? How much money were they exactly making? And in the podcast that I had done, I had already explained that he had acted like this is a, this is the beginning of it. That from the very beginning of Who's Line, they've been treated like this, and he doesn't like it when shows, when the Who's Line show gets signed to different studios. And now there's HBO Max, there's Hulu, which is part of Disney Plus. All these things are ranking in a lot of money. So where is this money going? These very powerful, rich studios that are not utilizing their talents very well. They, they were hired the work. They were forced them to write within a certain time period to get things done. I remember the 2007-2008 strike. 
Steven Spielberg were really pressuring the writers to write Transformers. One of the Transformers movies. I forget which one it was. But that was the big thing. And now you have, I guess the best thing come out of this is that James Gunn has stopped writing the next Superman movie, which is called like Superman Legacy, I think. He has stopped writing that in support of the writer's strike. Stranger Things has stopped production. They were going to wrap up their last season. Now it's going to be dragged out for forever. But there's enough on there to keep up for people to catch up with. But, again, you know, it's a, it's a fine line of, yes, these shows will still be available. You can still catch up with these shows. They're not going to be producing any new shows. But while that's happening, a lot of money is being made behind the scenes. And now there's also talk about AI. I've gotten into AI a little bit, the chat GPT thing. AI, basically writing a text format and giving it a script and it cranking this thing right back out to you. Is this fair to the writers and is this a frenching on their property? I watched a video before the writer's strike on this YouTube channel called Corridor Crew, which they actually follow AI art. And they're making an AI art style video. And they was like trying to discuss what's the fine line of what are they doing? Is it stealing? Is it infringing upon the copyright owner of what they were doing? What they were doing was that they would film themselves against the green screen. They wanted to make an anime video without drawing it. You're going frame by frame, telling the AI to make these images in the style of this particular anime. And they eventually made this whole long video. So they got that out there, and people had their questions. People wondered, what is this thing? Is this going to be the downfall of animation? Now we bring it to the writers. Yes, this is a big problem. Will you be able to tell the difference if a person wrote it, or a actual, or if a machine wrote it? Can you tell the difference? I was playing around with the GPT thing, and it was kind of scary. Because it, it at the same time, it was telling me that it did not have access to the internet. It had a memory of some things to a certain extent. And I was running some things past, and I was amazed by what it spit out to me. Um, it's a fine line. It, it, it really is. And it's, it's, it's really... Like, I wouldn't know, like, if, if studios wanted to just <laughs> make AI scripts, somewhere along the line you would know maybe you'd want to hire more improvisers to come in. What is the difference between AI and improvising if a writer is going to be strictly kind of pushed to the side, which is a bad thing? You know, you want to hire a writer to write a script. What is it going to be? You have your television writers, you have your film writers, in either format, you're saying it live like to stick to a script. They have to stick to a script because these scripts a lot of the times have to run past the studio heads so they know what's going to be on air. I remember Family Guy always getting flagged. All their scripts would get flagged because it says, you can't say this, you can't say that, and they're like using really, really foul language. But the idea was that they knew they were going to do that. They knew what can and can't be heard on air, but they were doing it for uncensored 
DVDs. So that's like with the intent that you know how to kind of write. You know with that certain frame of mind. So Saturday Night Live mainly relies on writers. Daily Show relies on writers. Your late night shows, I remember 2007-2008, I always bring this up to my family because years ago I used to write, it's gone now, but I used to write TV Guide blogs, part of the TV Guide community. And I wrote several blogs, and one of them actually was during the writer's strike, complimenting Carson Daly at the time for hosting Last Call because he is somebody that hosted a late night show. That's on like one thirty in the uh, evening or in the morning. Excuse me, in the morning. And a lot of your late night shows always like to poke fun, saying, "Hey, our show is so it was on so late. Who exactly is watching it?" Probably not very many people. But he'd still put on a show, and he had to go on without writers. And I just saw that he can actually make it without writers. I think that a lot of your comedians can make it without writers, but because their shows are so driven production-wise, it's going to look like you've betrayed them. It's you know, it's going to look like you turn your back on them. So during one of the strikes, I think one of the production teams of Jay Leno, he, I think, paid, either Jay Leno or David Letterman, paid his staff. Um, he compensated them throughout the whole thing. It's kind of like a whole deal about the 2020 COVID thing. All these people are out of work. So back to that, that kind of brings me up. I want to read a quote by Judd Apatow. I think he best explains what's going on. And he's been a writer for a very long time. And once again, coincidentally, he has a connection to my favorite writers, Ben Stiller and Bob Odenkirk. And then he would go on to write and direct many movies featuring Will Ferrell and Steve Carell. But he, he I'll, I'll get to that, but he, he makes a really, really great point um, because, you know, you, you have your style that has always been around. You know, filmmakers go to film school to learn how to film. Writers go to take writing classes to write in a particular way. These days with social media, you may not need the big, big help of the studios. So this could backfire on many of... because they kind of know what's going on. At the same time, they don't know everything that's going on. But I think that these days, because of social media, I don't think actors can necessarily have agents because a lot of times they could get their own job on social media. They could get sponsors. They can get endorsements. They can lose jobs by being themselves on social media. I don't think they need agents. These days, they, they have cameras in their hand, just as everybody does, and your famous people can make their own stuff, and if they really put their mind to it, they don't need these studios. Now, if you want to be in a movie, that's one thing. All the stuff is all set by the guild. You have your writer's guild of america and you have your screen actors guild of america and you have your director's guild director's guild is interesting because many of the things that i've learned from that is robert rodriguez taking himself in and out of the 
Director's Guild because of so many different rules that there were. It also kind of made kind of like a stance. And coincidentally, I just saw that Robert Rodriguez has a new movie coming out. So that's pretty exciting. All these movies are coming out. People are excited. It's kind of mixed emotions because a lot of this stuff is already said and done. Hands have been shook. The deal's been made. Money's been made. Now from there we see what's going to happen with the future of productions that haven't happened yet. Let alone in the middle of production has to shut down. There are some things that are just being delayed. Marvel, which I haven't even got to discuss, is having the worst luck right now. Superhero movies in general are having really bad luck at the box office. We just had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 just debut like $114 million, something like that. Internationally, like 148, like over 200 some, 200, 300 million that they made at the box office this past week. Makes it kind of down, I guess, from other openings of Marvel movies. Not as bad as Ant Man, Quantumania, which they like to point out a lot. Which, of course, now has a really big problem, which goes into the, the curse of Kang. But Marvel has kind of been kind of cursed, anyways, in different kinds of ways but this doesn't help they've gone through they've let go of some people and then the strike happens and they shut down production imagine that that these these shows these movies had to shut down production in stance with the writers you know a little alone with stance of the actors your actors and your directors are standing by your writers because it is a team effort it is a collaborated uh, a collaboration experience of your different projects that are out there but marvel is having a tough time because of the jonathan majors situation i, I say it in one show that they want to kind of drop them off altogether that character which way are they going to go i guess in guardians of the galaxy volume three some, something somebody says that they kind of are trying to explain and could kind of fix the future of marvel i haven't seen it yet Probably not going to see it for another week or a few weeks. Have no idea yet. Um, don't know. Just going to wait to do a show until after I saw it. But I don't know when that's going to be. So I just wanted to get on here and put out a show to talk about it. Because it's kind of like the same stuff. Not really new updates with the writer strike. It really doesn't have a whole lot of updates. Um, and I've also been back and forth with doing my own thing. You know, just as I said, that 2007, 2008, I was writing. <laughs> you know, what are the odds that I was writing and doing my own thing and the writers in actual Hollywood industry couldn't, could not do anything. Stop production of their stuff. Now, fast forward to now, I've been back into writing. I've been back into writing and doing things and the writer's strike is happening again. Also, I was at the cusp of designing my own website. Fast forward to now, I now want to t turn, uh, I want to convert parts of my website into an app to do my own thing. So this is really weird how, I mean, I know I'm making it all about me, but creatively, this is the best mindset I've been in in a while because I've joined, last show I mentioned, Clapper. Since then, some really big things have happened. I like it because it's a more interactive experience with the people who are actually watching my video. I watch what they do, they watch what I do, we support each other. I think there was that on TikTok, but I never really got into it. Never really wanted to take time to do that. In this app, there's a way for 
creators to talk to each other within groups. So I've been joining that. So that's been my way of getting out there. And and guess what? In reality, if you know, um, the writer's strike is going on, and when production shut down, nobody's working, and it could kind of reflect. It reflects 2007, 2008, but more recently, it puts it back to 2020, and it makes it that you know your writers who are part of the Writers Guild. They can't. They don't want to put out content in social media form because that looks like they're crossing picketed lines, and they don't want to be scabs and whatever. So there's there's that, and it's like if I had a really broad base, I'm thinking about making a video, a clapper of my opinion of the writer's strike, my take on it. I would just want to. I wish I had a fan base. And I wish I had bigger clout to stand up there and say, you know, this is inspiring. This is not inspiring for future writers. This is setting, you know, you got to set an example. There are people right now that are studying to be successful screenwriters who want to tell stories. And when you say that you, you show what their value is and you're actually devaluing them, it breaks it down into what is this all about? You know, I'm a writer. Do I consider myself a successful writer? No, not yet. But I'm on the verge of wanting to be discovered. I'm making things every day. I'm writing things every day. But what am I writing this for? You know, I'm wanting to be discovered so I can be part of the industry. But look what the industry does to people. You know, I would love to be part of the guild, any of the guilds. Primarily the Writers Guild. I, you know, going back to me watching, I've been watching The Daily Show, I've been watching Seth Meyers a lot, and it's really weird, the timing of it, now they're in reruns. And I was actually following them to follow the news. And I was following, I was getting the, the, into their formats of how they, how they write, and Seth Meyers, he had a really great explanation of his stance on it, because he's always looked at, he's always enjoyed writing, he loves that he gets to be paid for what he enjoys doing. And he looks at himself more as a writer and performer. Now, coincidentally, if you watch his work, yes, you know, as my sister has pointed out, in some movies, he stands out. His acting is probably not the best. He wasn't really known for that on Saturday Night Live. He was a anchor on Weekend Update. He's in the background a lot of the times in the other sketches. But he primarily thinks of himself as a writer. And that's kind of like how I... I'm kind of in the midst of a writer, voiceover artist, and actor all rolled up into one. Um, director also, because I direct my own style, of course, develop my own style and direct it. Editor. I always enjoyed writing and editing. And because sometimes while writing, I am editing. I'm writing a script. I'm writing out parts that I want. I'm keeping what I want. Keep, and I'm taking out what I don't like. Then we get to film it. And that's the second part of editing. So I, there's several editing processes. I've already, I've always loved writing and editing. And I was doing my show in 2011 called Curvy Vampirism. It relied mainly on improvisation. But I would write several outlines. That show was kind of an experiment for me to step out of my comfort zone because I saw how I was acting when I was a writer. I would write lines and perform them on camera 
I filmed a little short thing years ago. I was just going back and forth. You know, I'd write the line, say the line. Write the line, say the line. And my show, Curvy Vampirism, I wanted to be more fluid. I wanted to sound more realistic, feel more realistic. So I wrote an outline. I just thought, hey, if you go off the basis of that, I create my characters and I play them as if they're real people. It sounds more real because it is. I'm in character performing these things. Some things are written. Obviously, the little catchphrase things that I want or the little one-liners that will stick in my head sometimes. Once, still to this day, this is kind of how I also think and write, is I write a sketch based off one line. It all leads up to that one-liner. So my stance on the writer's strike is that I, I want them to get what they deserve. I want them to be valued because this sets the example for the future. Everybody's on the internet right now. If, you're one, if you want to be a writer, you're going to know that your stuff is going to be online in some form. Established filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino, they want to wait until all the stuff dies down. They don't want to be on the internet. They don't want their stuff to... They don't want to be told, okay, Quentin, you're going to direct a, a movie and it's only going to be on Amazon Prime. You know, Christopher Nolan has a movie coming out, but he's now with a different company. He doesn't like Warner Brothers because of what they've done with streaming things. That was, again, due to COVID. All the money that they made online, you know, completely took it away from the theatrical experience of what a lot of your theater actors wanted to do. They think, they write, they, they sign these contracts knowing where their stuff is going to go, but kind of not knowing where their stuff is going to go. With your independent films, you are kind of in the same boat as a lot of your studios. That's, it's kind of like how it's kind of turned into. Now you don't know where it's going to be picked up at. So now you're, it's odd to say that, now that I think about it. Your companies like Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix are all kind of traded off each other. They sometimes kind of had the same stuff going back and forth. You know, The Office was a real big hit on Netflix. And then Peacock wanted to come along. They wanted their show back. Paramount Plus and all the things that it's done uh, to, to its own shows and programming. You know, they're the ones that wanted to pull the movie awards Paramount because of what's happened. So they have different stances. It's odd that some companies have these. They're, they're in the middle of it. And they, they know what to do and they don't know what to do. But I have to stand with the writers. But at the same time, I have to do my own thing. I'm not part of the guild. I have to continue to create. You know, I can only look at this as my advantage of getting my stuff out there because I'm not part of or associated with these things. But at the same time, I would eventually like to be. You know, it's not inspiring. The studios to value your writers. A lot of the things that they write are said and done with. You know, I, I recently saw an interview with Brian Cranston, and he was explaining, and I've, I've seen similar interviews with different actors, but he said that he was in this movie that, you know, he was given a script, and he just thought that the script needed some, you know, more funnier moments. And the people behind the show kind of felt that way too, and they kind of leaned on the way to improvisation. It opened an actor who wasn't known for improvising to do that. That leads a whole new world. You know, what is the written word? 
kind of like if they're not going to pay the writers what they want and give in to their demands, they're kind of like treating everybody right now like the Who's Lines Anyway people. You know, that's why that Tim Daly video that my sister showed me is really important. The whole example, the whole messaging was, you know, you can't say anything. This whole time you can't say anything. The, the actors need words to act. They need to perform these stories. They need these things. They need writers. And like I said, many shows don't need writers, but they feel like they still have to stand by many of the staff on their show. So it's odd that shows like, I think, maybe the Sherry Shepard, Sherry Shepard show and the Drew Barrymore show have stopped production because they have writers on their show write little bits and they're part of the guild. But in all honesty, some shows don't need writers, but they still rely on it because that is the tradition. You have a production, you have an established production, who are you going to hire? You want to hire a union, you want to hire non-union. It goes back to Robert Rodriguez, the little different things that he was a part of wouldn't let him do some things. So he, at one movie, he had to join the guild to do a movie. So he decided to do that. And then when a movie came out and they would in the they wouldn't give credit to, I think, Frank Miller with Sin City because they wouldn't give him credit as a co-director because Frank Miller did help direct Robert Rodriguez in the Sin City. He then took himself out of it. So you have people with different stances back and forth of why they want to do it. And even when they're in it, there are benefits to it. But when they don't have those benefits, they don't have nothing. And it's kind of like when people have their phone bill these days. Your phone, your internet, and your cable bill. All one thing. If one of those companies have a discrepancy with each other, you don't have anything. Electricity goes out. That's another thing. But if electricity goes out, you lose everything. You lose everything all at once. But it's all about value. When it comes down to it, it is all about value. And that's kind of like how I, when I film my projects... I haven't put a whole lot of money into the budget. I am myself. I do these things myself. I've had help along uh, over the years with my family. We're all non-union, of course. A few times we have hired outside help. And, of course, we had to find people who weren't in the union. So we've been part of the experience of what it's like to hire someone that is close to the industry that is still not in the guild, any of the guilds. But there's always that spark, that, that thing that goes off in your head and go, wouldn't it be nice if you were in the guild and be easier to get more attention from these people? They can help you, you help them. And this whole thing just makes it, it, it makes the studios look incredibly greedy that they're not listening to the writers. So the writers have to once again go out and do their thing and they have to get what they want because you're going to see it. And then what happened with the other thing studios quickly realized was that they could save money by making non-scripted shows, your reality television. So we might see a new flux of that kind of entertainment. I'm going to end the show with a quote by Judd Apatow because it basically sums up my belief exactly. And um, yeah, pretty much 
pretty much going to be it on that. So here is Judd Apatow's view on the whole writer's strike situation. Judd Apatow says, I think they probably already know what they're going to bend on. I would assume they already know what date this is going to end. They've probably have been planning this for years. I always think that whatever happens, they could have figured it out already. When these things conclude, you never go, I understand why it took that long. It's never something so inventive and groundbreaking that you think, oh, people needed to go to war for months over it. It's always a very obvious position. So that's what's scary about it, is that there is a solution, but I'm not sure that all the business interests are interested in getting to it quickly. He says it affects everything because we're in development on a lot of things, so you just have to stop. And then as soon as the strike ends, everybody says, oh, now we have a backlog. We don't need anything. That aspect of it complicates everything that we're trying to do. We're not in the middle of anything other than writing. We're like Twitter's employees. If they want to save money, they just get rid of 80% of the workforce. That's why it's an existential problem. If the ecosystem of writers doesn't exist, no one will learn how to do it. No one will be able to survive doing it. And then everyone will go, well, maybe I'll write video games. Maybe I'll make TikToks at home and become an influencer. It's a lot of creative people who can do other things. So you don't want the whole system to collapse. We have a system now that, that does not reward success for a lot of these projects. If you make something and, and a billion people watch it, you don't make more money than if it was a disaster, right? That's not good for creativity because it takes away a lot of the motivation for the creative people. Because people work really hard to create some sort of cushion for their lives. All of our work is ebb and flow. The successes pay for the time when things aren't going well. Sometimes they go well, and sometimes they don't. But you can live off, off the time that you wrote something that had a lot of residual. Fees paid out. It's always been a tenuous career. But if you take away most of the linchpins, it's a career that a majority of people can't survive. This is Richard Biggin, some other uses podcast. Hopefully I'll hear from you soon. I'll thank you for subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Well said, Chad Apatow. Well said. Hopefully you'll hear from me soon, everybody. Bye.